Do you know what one of my favorite things to do in the summer is? A road trip. Growing up, my family and I took plenty of road trips in the summer, cruising out of state to visit family members and explore new cities. In the heat of the summer, I've found myself all over the eastern United States, from Chicago to New Orleans to Washington, D.C. to New York City, to even, at one time, taking a plane trip up to Edinburgh, though I would hardly call that a road trip. One summer, my mother, my aunt, and myself drove from Vegas to the Grand Canyon to Yosemite and then back to Vegas, a very formative trip for 11-year-old Nick. In the summer of 2019, I departed my place of work at 5 p.m., drove straight to Miami, woke up at dawn, drove straight to Key West, spent the day looking for Henry Flagler, and then drove the unbelievably long drive all the way north back to Orlando. And boy, I had a wonderful time. One time, I drove from Savannah to my home in Sanford in one straight shot without stopping to use the restroom. Thank you very much. I know it's an Olympian feat. I took a road trip this summer, actually, a few weeks ago. I listened to a Yankees game and coasted north through the setting sun toward northern Georgia, but I'll tell you more about that this winter. I love driving. Road trips are one of my highlights of every summer. I love the journey as much as the destination and seeing what you can see along the roadsides of this strange country. It's always fascinated me. If you pay attention, bizarre things hide off the exits of our interstates, bright glaring signs in the middle of the night that advertise unique gas stations and, more often than not, some gentlemen's clubs. I've always loved these drives because I like to imagine living off of one of those exits, each passing one, wondering what it's like to live near that bizarre roadside attraction. It's not a passing fancy for you, it's part of your life. I got a book last year. It's called Historic Photos of Florida Tourist Attractions. The words of this book were written by one Steve Rajter, and it's been a frequent read of mine. I'll post a link to it in the episode description so you can check it out yourself. I love tourist attractions, but especially the older ones because, man, people would really do anything to snag the attention of a bored driver looking for a way to stretch their legs. There are some really fascinating attractions in this book, and I'll definitely be using it as a resource from now on, but when I got it, I immediately flipped through to find one specific attraction, one that I had long loved and sought out more information on because it's precisely the kind of strange thing that I've always loved. Indeed, the location I was seeking out was within this book. Flip to page 32 and you'll find a fascinating picture. It's of a man, perhaps 40, white with short dark hair. He's wearing a workman's shirt and nice pants, sitting in front of a mural of Florida nature. To his left, on the right side of the photo, is a bizarre-looking blob, a tall blob. Sitting on the bench next to him, rising about two feet over his head, is a knobby, bloated, smooth shape of some kind. It almost resembles a massive branching sweet potato, those little growths spurting off of it, and it's just this inexplicable something next to this man. Well, the man is Tom Gaskins, and what's sitting next to him is a cypress knee. A cypress knee being the things that stick out from the earth to allow cypress trees to aspirate, allows them to breathe, allows the roots to access the air. Well, cypress trees all over Florida have these cypress knees. They're the reason the cypress tree is actually my favorite tree, but nobody loved the cypress knees or knew them better, perhaps, than Tom Gaskins, the man sitting next to that cypress knee in this book. You see, Tom opened a tourist attraction, one that I would give any money to travel back and see in person, even though it is long gone. You see, in 1951, Tom Gaskins opened the one, the only, Cypress Knee Museum. 
I'm Nick D'Alessandro, and this is Wait 5 Minutes, a podcast about Florida by a Floridian. This week, the Cypress Knee Museum. How one man's passion for a strange quirk of nature made an impact on Florida and the strange art of 1950s Florida tourism. This is one of those stories I've been wanting to tell you for a while and one that I I just can't get enough of. So I, I just want to start telling you about the wonderful weirdness of this museum. Let's talk about what the museum looks like today in 2022. If you're interested, go to YouTube and search Tom Gaskins at Cypress Knee Museum. It's out in Glades County in the small town of Palmdale, which was originally a cracker community a couple hundred years ago. It's a straight shot west of Lake Okeechobee and a straight shot east of Punta Gorda, kind of smack in the middle of those two locations. I think I actually passed through Palmdale on the way to the Everglades once years ago for this show. Maybe I'll return there sometime and, and check out what else is in that area. There seems to be some gator attraction, and you know I love gator attractions. But if you look up the museum on YouTube, you'll see what I saw in search of the museum. Videos of abandoned place explorers roaming the ruins of this old museum. I'd recommend not watching if you're easily spooked. Even I, a horror lover, was creeped out by the dark corners in every video as the explorer roamed the empty attraction. What you'll see in the videos is exactly what I saw. Kind of a lot of nothing. I considered taking a trip down there, but I'll be frank, I'm not much of an urban explorer. Earlier this season, I wandered through the woods to find what is possibly Florida's first swimming pool, and that was enough off-the-beaten-path walking for your host. I was literally 20 paces from another human being. Based on the videos of this old museum, I'd be kinda out there, and I was not particularly interested in doing that. Besides, I think it would make me sad to see it in person. But watch those videos, I'll include some links. You can see some really cool graffiti on the blank walls and broken windows. One notable piece of graffiti art is of like an alligator floating in the water. It's really elaborate and it looks really cool, but with all the glass cases broken and views of nature creeping through, clearly this was a unique museum back in the day. And it actually wasn't abandoned that long ago. It only closed in 2000 after the museum was robbed and many of the pieces held within were taken. Plus, Tom Gaskins himself, the founder of the museum, passed away in 1998, just two years prior. By that time, the museum was already on its last legs. But we'll get to that in a moment. I'd like to take you first to an article found by my friend Melissa Procco, formerly of the Orange County Regional History Center. She gathered this research for this episode, so huge thank you to her. Most of the articles used in this episode came from her search. This article is from the Tampa Tribune, August 10th, 1952, which was 70 years ago last Wednesday, to the day. That is a coincidence, no relation. Anyway, this article is headlined, Rugged Individualist Goes After His First Million. It was written by Sam Mays, and smiling there in the cypress swamps in the middle of the article is the one and only Tom Gaskins, an axe heaved confidently over his shoulders, feet in the swamp. This article is extensive and is kind of the big launching point for getting to know Tom Gaskins as a character, because trust me, he is a character. The article opens with a truly wild anecdote. It details that Gaskins lives out in the Florida wilderness, quote, on the edge of a cypress swamp, end quote. And it details how he and his family are kept afloat off of his cypress knee business, quote, an industry which he claims to have founded, end quote. Then, apparently, he 
out of nowhere, begins to rail against the president at that time, Harry Truman. Quote, to expand his business, he would have to hire more men and pay for a proportionate share of their social security payments. This he refuses to do, end quote. Apparently, Tom Gaskins was railing against the Social Security Act Amendments of 1952, an important bill that increased protections for certain people in America at a time of increasing uncertainty. The economy was not doing well. The Korean War was ramping up, the economy was suffering massive inflation, and we were hurtling towards a recession. Gaskins was apparently taking a stand against this Social Security Act. Since Social Security came from a payroll tax, this meant that Gaskins would have to be paying into it, and many people were against Social Security since it was started back in 1935 as part of Franklin D. Roosevelt's New Deal. The New Deal itself was a movement that was hated by many economically conservative individuals. Clearly, Gaskins considered himself amongst that group. He put up a sign apparently in the museum, like amongst the Cypress Knees. That sign reads the following, quote, The world is always looking for men to do things that have not been done, but the world will no longer pay off. Too much New Deal, Fair Deal, Socialism, Communism. I know of other things that have not been developed, and I would have to develop them, but I am no sucker. I'm going fishing, end quote. That's a very interesting series of sentences, to say the least. I'm not entirely sure how they flow together, or frankly, even what sentiment they are trying to convey, but I do appreciate the last sentence there. I am no sucker. I am going fishing. Okay. Nevertheless, the museum was all part of Gaskins' plan to make a life for himself in this swamp. He said, quote, A couple of million people eventually will visit the swamp, and I will have earned my million from admissions fees, end quote. Keep in mind, this is a museum filled with just unusually shaped knots from cypress trees. He expected to make a million off of that. According to Tom Gaskins' own mythologizing of his own history, he got into cypress knees because his mother-in-law asked him to grab one to use as a vase because she had heard that they were hollow. But Gaskins says this, a quote that is strangely haunting and very revealing. He said, quote, Cypress knees meant nothing to me until I saw them as a method of making money, end quote. Clearly, his politics matter to him. He spends large portions of this article discussing how much he doesn't want to have to meet certain rules for employment, and the government made him anyway. Many guests to the museum actually complained at the time about the politicalness in the museum, and some appreciated his forwardness. For me, I just can't imagine reading about taxes and social security while I'm looking at some funky looking trees. It just frankly might kill the vibe. Because, sincerely, the cypress knees that Tom had were amazing and very unusual. The variety of cypress knee-themed displays is actually remarkable. How much can one do with a museum around not just a tree, but the roots of a tree? Well, with his 400 pieces, at least at the time of the article in 1952, he apparently had much to share. One image shows a trio of cypress knees, one that looks like a hand holding a cigarette, Tom put in the cigarette, one that looks like a mother holding a child, and the last sort of has the side profile of someone wearing a crown. The newspaper asks, what do you see? In another photo, you can see how Gaskins kind of manipulated cypress knees to do unusual things. One of them he cut a hole into while it was still growing, stuck a bottle inside, and watched as the knee grew up around the bottle. Why did he do that? I do not know, but it looks cool. 
Tom even had some patents related to cypress knees, including one where it looked like you could turn the knee into like a vase with water inside and plants growing out of the openings in the knee. The diagram on the patent of that is very cool with different plants growing from inside. It just looks very cool. I bet it would be beautiful to look at. The journalist from the Tribune, by the way, actually went with Tom into the Cypress Swamp, a job I wish I could travel back in time and do myself, to see where Tom was getting his knots and to see where Tom was apparently manufacturing his art. He called it his lab, after all. He carved initials in some knees and found that when the initial scars were healed, they would raise up from the wood, creating kind of a popping effect. He also found a process where he dried them, hollowed them out, and created a knee perfect for being carved and smoothed out to create the blobby-looking shapes that dot the museum. According to the journalist, Tom was working on making a human mask out of the cypress knee, a project that I'm sure looked normal and not strange at all. Which brings us to the next article, 1954, the new journal based out of Wilmington, Delaware. This article paints a picture of Central Florida bracing for a busy summer ahead. This was January of 1954, a year and a half before Disneyland opened in California. At this time, tourism was all about recreation and relaxation. This article promotes all the things you could do, mostly sports and boating in Florida's mild climate, but one route pops up here. It is mentioned in depth. This article suggests that the best way to see all of the best of Central Florida is by driving the one and only Orange Blossom Trail. If you're an Orlando resident, Orange Blossom Trail, or OBT, is one of our main roads that isn't a highway through our city. In fact, I pass over OBT every day. It's a hugely important road in Orlando, but decades ago, it was a route that connected two routes, US 441 and US 21. And along that route, you could see a lot of Florida. The Federal Highway Act that would lead to the creation of our many interstates wasn't signed until 1956. Highways would start being built the following year, but in the early 50s and before, routes like the Orange Blossom Trail were the way to get around and tourist attractions would intentionally build along them in order to prosper. If your road trip, your family vacation, was built around just going to a bunch of places along the road, seeing the sights of Florida, OBT was the best way to do it, and you could visit a bunch at once. This article from 1954 lists Silver Springs, Cypress Gardens, San Lando Springs, Floating Islands, Venetian Gardens, and somehow the Cypress Knee Museum. Hell, they even suggest visiting the farmlands around Lake Okeechobee, if that's your thing. Quote, travel the Blossom Trail and you can be pretty sure of finding the very attractions that will interest you the most, end quote. But motorists had no reason to go coasting up and down the Orange Blossom Trail soon. Soon, the interstates would cut off the flow of traffic and tourist sites like the Cypress Knee Museum would be pushed to the medians. The nearest highway was miles and miles away. Why would people travel that far off their route just to see some weird-looking cypress knees? Why would they do that when they could just go where they're trying to get? But don't you worry about old Tom Gaskins. He got plenty of media attention in the ensuing years after the highways came in, and not just for his cypress knees. Sure, every once in a while there'd be an article, a lot like this podcast, going, hey, have you heard of this weird guy and his cypress knees? He carves these trees and then sells them as art, because he did. You could apparently see his cypress knee creations in curio shops around the state 
perhaps even the country, but also new elements of his museum would attract people like a walkway into the cypress swamp to see nature untouched, or at least untouched by anyone other than Tom. One article in the Miami Herald from the time details a raccoon love story on Gaskins' property. The happy lady raccoon was, of course, named Booger. Yeah. I even found an article that used a quote from a forgotten Florida poet that we've talked about on this show named Don Blanding, citing his poem about cypress knees. What a wild connection. It's just amazing how these things interconnect. I, I'd never heard of Don Blanding, never heard of Gaskins, and now they're in an article from decades before I was born. Anyway, did I mention that Tom Gaskins won the World Turkey Calling Championship at least eight times until in 1967 his son, Tom Gaskins Jr., defeated him? According to an article from 1998, Tom actually appeared on major national television as well. Quote, he appeared on the Johnny Carson and Jay Leno shows, barefoot as usual, end quote. A lot of these articles talk about how Tom was barefoot everywhere, everywhere, all the time. I cannot imagine that personally, but it's a look. I searched for those videos of Tom barefoot on Johnny Carson or Jay Leno, but I haven't found any. I will genuinely continue my search. I have to find those. But, of course, in all of this, in all the articles written about him, Tom, of course, found plenty of time to inject his political opinions into any profile on him throughout the years. One from the Miami Herald in 1968, written by one Nixon Smiley, which is a crazy name, gets into Gaskins' take on the world in 1968. He's got some, let's say, controversial opinions on welfare and poverty. Gaskins blames much of our troubles in the cities on a new philosophy that man needs leisure to create, end quote. Gaskins, as far as I can tell, was what some would describe as a believer in the pull-yourself-up-by-your-bootstraps philosophy, a guy who believed that hard work could lead to success no matter what. Just look at his Cypress Knee Museum. He cites that as proof enough that hard work can lead to success in any field. He was, after all, a self-described member of the John Birch Society, a right-wing political group that has touted conservative ideas for the last several decades. Anthony Brooks, the senior political reporter for WBUR, the NPR station based out of Boston, recently described the John Birch Society as the following, quote, The John Birch Society was an ultra-right-wing political movement that feasted on conspiracy theories, end quote. The article goes on to compare the John Birch Society to current ultra-right-wing groups today that present similarly outlandish conspiracies. So nobody described Tom Gaskins as a John Birch Society member. He described himself as one. I think that is a pretty clarifying statement about his political beliefs. It certainly didn't help that Gaskins put up billboards made of cypress wood to advertise the museum, but had to take them down because of rules put in place by the Highway Beautification Act, which we discussed a few months ago this spring. The government, it seemed to Tom at least, was always trying to get in the way of his success. Here's what he said about his billboards in an article from the Tampa Bay Times on August 14, 1978. Hey, that's 44 years ago yesterday. He says, quote, those signs of mine are not just some old thing erected on the side of the road. They're artistic, humorous, beautiful, natural, intelligent, and right close to my heart. If anything, they beautify this area, end quote. Keep in mind, one of the billboards reads, quote, lady, if he won't stop, hit him on the head with shoe, 
end quote. Apparently, the Department of Transportation wanted them taken down and even offered to buy them from him, but I can't find if or when they were ever taken down. I assume they're gone now, but I've seen pictures. They look like strange letters propped up on tops of branches. There's something almost Dr. Seuss-like about them. They're signs, definitely, but the way they stick up in the air, it's just a little odd. Par for the course for the Cypress Knee Museum. But that brings us to the 1980s and to our pal, Bob Morris. Bob Morris, you'll remember, is the popular former columnist for the Orlando Sentinel who started the Queen Kumquat Sachet Parade in Orlando that we discussed just a few weeks ago. When I found out that Bob met with Tom Gaskins, I immediately thought, yeah, of course he did. This article is from May 27th, 1984. May 27th is my birthday. Thank you very much. Bob Morris actually wrote that article for the Fort Myers News Press, where he worked before he moved to the Orlando Sentinel in 1985. The article concerns Bob making his way over to Palmdale to celebrate an important occasion with Tom. Quote, it was 50 years ago that Tom Gaskins showed the incredible good sense of marrying one Virginia Bible, a pretty lady he'd met while on a 4th of July camping trip near Lake Placid. And it was that same year, 1934, that Gaskins demonstrated what many thought was an incredible lack of good sense by giving up his job in the family business to make a living selling cypress knees. End quote. Two details from that quote that I want to point out. First of all, that is some amazing writing. Second of all, Tom's wife was apparently named Virginia Bible. Bob Morris provided more insight on this trip. He says that Tom apparently only sold to out-of-state buyers at first because, quote, I didn't want everyone in Florida knowing that all this money was just growing right under their noses, end quote. What amazes me about Bob's article is that it details all the variety of people that showed up to this celebration. Business owners, some politicians and farmers, some folks from the Big Cypress Seminole Indian Reservation, and of course, Bob Morris himself, journalists came to cover this story. Bob's portrait of Tom is different, in my opinion, than the one painted in all the other profiles I've read. Bob paints him as an old chatterbox, a wiry folk figure who wanders barefoot, swats away mosquitoes, and wears, no joke, a cypress knee hat. A hat made of a cypress knee. Perhaps the years had softened Tom a bit. There's no mention of Tom's politics, his lambasting about welfare, and how the government kept beating down on his strange little business. Tom just seemed like a, an interesting old guy. Tom had apparently turned into a bit of folklore himself once he reached his 70s. When he passed away in 1998, the Miami Herald wrote this about Tom's legacy, quote, Gaskins hailed from a Florida that has all but disappeared. Glimpses of it can still be seen near his homestead, where majestic domes of cypress trees rise like rounded blue-green mountains on the horizon, end quote. Gaskins was 89 when he passed away after living with Alzheimer's disease for many years. His wife, Virginia, had passed away a few years earlier, and his son still ran the museum. Imagine the period of time that Tom lived in. Born in 1909, died in 1998. He saw pretty much the whole of the 20th century while walking barefoot through the cypress swamps around his home for most of his life, absolutely certain that his purpose on this planet was to share the beauty of the cypress knees and to use them to support his family for most of his adult life. The Gaskins family dealt with several troubles in 2000 after Tom Gaskin Sr. passed, including a land dispute with the state of Florida, which was just the next in a long string of the Gaskins' family conflicting with the government. But in June of 2000, thieves entered the museum with bolt cutters and stole some of the most expensive pieces in the museum. It would only get worse because Gaskins Jr. had to move. Soon enough, the museum would close. Only the stories in the papers would remain. 
I've always been interested in this story because of just the character involved in it. Tom Gaskins wanted to use the Cypress Knees to make money. I think that a lot of people do that all over Florida, all over the country, all over the planet. They see nature as a way to advance their careers, their lives, and it's an interesting way to do it. Certainly an interesting way to do it in the 1950s. I'm most interested in just what it would look like to be driving down the road and see this thing that says Cypress Knee Museum. I cannot imagine what walking through those hallways would even feel like. I truly wish I could have visited it, but... As for the man himself, as for the pioneer of the Tom Gaskins Cypress Knee Museum, I think the thing that resounds with me the most is that image in the first article we discussed and the words that they use to describe him. In that article, the headline that is used to describe Tom Gaskins refers to him as a rugged individualist. Accompanying that headline is a picture of Tom, as I described, knee-deep in the swamps, an axe over his shoulder, his eyes looking into the great middle distance, wondering what's out there. I don't know if that's who Tom Gaskins truly was. All of the articles here paint a bombastic and opinionated person, but I don't know. What it seems to me is that that image of Tom in the swamp with the axe on his shoulder and that title, Rugged Individualist, that is certainly how Tom Gaskins saw himself. The truth of the matter? Well, that's up for you to decide. All I know is that I wish I could see some of the cypress knees that he had created all those years ago. I'm sure that if I find one somewhere, I will gladly collect it. Because somehow Tom was right. I cannot imagine not being fascinated by cypress knees. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Wait 5 Minutes. I'm so glad that you are here. If you enjoyed this episode, if you've been enjoying this season, please let me know. I would love to hear from you on social media, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at WFM Pod, or you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify reviewing this show, telling people how much you enjoy it. It would mean the world to me. Also, I mentioned including a bunch of links for this show. There will be a ton of links in the description of this episode to YouTube pages and former episodes and articles related to this story. It's just such a rich tale, and I just have to share as much of it as I possibly can. So go into the episode description and read even more about this story. Thank you again to Melissa Praco, formerly of the Orange County Regional History Center. She sent along articles that aided in the research of this episode, and I am always grateful to her for that. Hey, if you are interested in hearing more from this show, send me an email at wfmpod at gmail.com. If there's a topic you want to hear discussed, something specific you want to cover, just send me an email. Let me know. I want to hear your ideas. I really do. All right, that is it for this week. There's only two weeks left of summer. Our last episode will be coming up the last Monday of August. And man, that is only two weeks away. I'm going to really enjoy these last two weeks, but I am very much looking forward to Halloween. Don't worry about it. Good stuff coming. You're going to love it. All right. Until next Monday, I'm Nick D'Alessandro. Be good to yourself. Be good to others. And please, as always, drink more water. Have a good week.